0: So first fight, scrolling on down here on UFC.com, is going to be Tamiris Vidal versus Montserrat Rendon. And Rendon is making her UFC debut. For Ms. Rendon, good fighter. I think she's overmatched here, though. I like Tamiris Vidal to win this fight by decision. That's plus 110. The books are not giving you much of a return there. Vidal's minus 230 on the money line. Montserrat Rendon is plus 190. This is a ban and out. As for the details, I can tell you now that Montserrat is undefeated, five and zero from Mexico. Thirty-four years old, a bit long in the tooth to be making her UFC debut, but hey, better late than never. She's five for eight. Tamiris is listed as five foot six, so Rendon should be the longer, taller fighter. And for Rendon, she's out of ECR Fight Center for Tamiris Vidal, training out of Team Brothers. Twenty-five for Vidal, almost 9, 10 years younger. She's the favorite here, seven and one overall. A little more experience, pretty solid record and she's out of Brazil. So two Latin American. No, Latin America, I can't say Brazil's Latin America, but two fighters from the south region, right, Mexico, Brazil. I guess we could wrap them up in that same area. I'm from Puerto Rico, so I'm not part of that clan per se, but I I don't mind being uh, lumped into that one little ball of wax, if you know what I'm saying. All right. Let's talk more numbers here. My little handy-dandy grading chart here, Excel sheet, what I think you could see right here. Okay, so here's my Excel sheet on this fight card and the grades we have here. For Vidal, a little more experience, slight edge in finishing ability, and grappling. But fighter IQ, cardio, and striking for me, these guys, these gals, I'm sorry, both grade out as pretty close. The props we like here are the fight going the full distance, the over 1.5, which is very chalky at minus 500, but still could be a parlay piece. The submission prop for Vidal plus 450 and Vidal by decision at plus 110 the over 1.5 is our prop lock as for our notes in this fight let me read to you for a second what i have here from the newsletter all right so again Vidal by decision is the pick Rendon's an undefeated prospect making her you to debut prefers to work at range where she could pepper opponents with front kicks and combinations She's a, she sports a perfect 5-0 record. All five wins are by decision, though. So obviously lacking some punching power, lacking finishing ability. Most of Rendone's prior opponents are either at or below 500 winning percentage. Her last match was in September of last year. Vidal would be a significant step up in competition for Rendone. For Vidal, a balanced martial artist in search of her seventh win in a row. So she, you know, is 7-1, lost her second fight, now is ripped off a bunch of fights. That second fight was to Carol Rosa. Good competition. All right? Back to Vidal here. So she earned an impressive round one knockout in her UFC debut last year. Four of her seven wins were into the distance, and Vidal has the power to test Rendon's chin, but also the ability to have a long fight has the stamina to win on the scorecards. It's a tough opponent for Rendon to be making her UFC debut. It almost feels like the UFC is doing her no favors, like feeding her right to the Sharks. So I'm kind of wondering... Does the UFC think maybe just you know, use her for the next year or so, get her in a few fights? She's 34 years old. They have no future plans for her. Whereas Vidal at 25, it's almost like, all right, here's an easier opponent for her. Get another win. Keep developing her. I'm just speculating. I don't know that. I mean, Montserrat Rendon looked decent in her fights. She fought Invicta. Didn't look terrible. Just seems to me like Vidal is the one to be on, on the side of here. And she probably wins the fight. The UFC's kind of you know, giving her a bit of a, a layup as they say. The betting spots, again, over 1.5 rounds. That's minus 500. These girls, I mean, Rendon has been to five straight decisions. Somewhat durable and finishing nobody. So it seems like we can get to round one and a half, right? Vidal has some finishing ability, but I wouldn't categorize her as a high-level finisher. Not yet. Hasn't proven that to me. So Vidal, by submission, though, at plus 450 is on our radar. And Vidal is a parlay piece at minus 230. Skate with caution. It's the first fight in the card. You don't want to get yourself off to a bad start of the night. You don't want to over-parlay Vidal. You guys know this stuff here. You guys probably know all those different flags, but just reminding you, just, you know, proceed with caution. Maybe the best thing here is to do no betting at all. <laughs> but if you have to bet, again, the over 1.5, that's our prop lock on this fight. Safe spot. Let's move on. Moving up the card, strawweight battle. 115 pounders, Mizuki Anu from Japan, who's 14-6 and 6 overall, against Hannah Goldie. Goes by Hannah twenty four K Goldie, who's six and three overall. The line here currently has a new at minus three hundred, Goldie at plus two forty. Before we saw the line, we didn't know much about Mizuki Anu. She hasn't fought in a while, but once you break down film, it's like okay, she's probably the better fighter. But massive layoff. We'll talk about that in a second. As for the details, a new fourteen and six, three two to her last five. Now based out of New York City, again from Japan, only twenty nine years old last fought when she was about 26 she's five foot three Goldie's listed at five foot four I'm not so sure if that's accurate I'll bring it back up in a little bit and for a new 64 inch reach 61 inch reach for Goldie and for a new out of Haku Shikani Kai karate I probably put you that name the best I could Hannah Goldie six and three overall two and three in her last five so struggling of late out of Tampa Florida 31 years old five foot four. Again, 61-inch reach at a Fusion XL performance. If you know Goldie, she's built like a miniature bodybuilder. Super compact, T-Rex arms. Is formidable on the ground. Does have a submission win in the UFC. Got an armbar win against Emily Whitmire. We'll get there in a second. Let's talk here more numbers. Let me show you their stats in terms of my grading chart. All right, so Mizuki Anu been a pro for 13 years. Hasn't fought, though, for three years. Goldie been a pro for seven years. Experience wise, 20 fights for a new, nine for a Goldie. Clearly, the experience is on the inside of Anu. Fighter IQ, I do think from what we know of Mizuki Anu, what we've seen from her in film, yes, three years ago, it seems like she has a better overall game plan. And so I'm giving her an edge in fighter IQ, fighter awareness. For cardio, Goldie is built like Rodolfo Vieira. She has that physique that you know, you're like, are you gonna get tired? so it's it's natural to, to wonder about her cardio she has got a decision she has looked okay at times in rounds two and three but Mizuki Anu seemed to look better fresher in the later rounds more volume so cardio wise advantage to Anu. finishing ability goldie has that one submission it was over emily whitmire you know a fighter who has been washed out of the ufc you know 500 level type of fighter not very impressive other than that i haven't seen much finishing ability from goldie and for Mizuki Anu, same thing. Yes, good volume. Better striker, but not necessarily knocking people out or submitting people. Striking, advantage to Anu. And grappling, I can't ignore Goldie's submission win, no matter how low-level the opponent was. Got to give her some you know, credit there. So grappling-wise, about the same. The props here. Fight going the full distance at minus 280. I like that spot. The over 2.5 rounds at minus 330. I like that quite a bit. Submission prop for Goldie is plus 1,400. If you like Goldie, it's that round one and two. It's that first 10 minutes. She live for a submission. And then Inu by decision at minus 135. The prop block here is over two and a half rounds at minus 330. To be safer, I mean, yeah, that's the prop block. I'm sorry. Okay, let me jump into my notes. Give me one second here. Once again, we do like... Mizuki Anu by decision. The line currently has Goldie at plus 240. Anu at minus 300. Strawweight about 115 pounders. Anu is making her return after a very long layoff. The last time she had her hand raised was in 2019, four years ago. Has the time away from the octagon helped her, or will it make her very rusty? And I'm asking out loud. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Now, before her extended break, she lost a tough decision to Amanda Lemos. Now, Lamos since then has looked pretty darn good. So that decision loss to Amanda Lemos has aged well. Now, if Anu fights the way that she fought against Lemos, she probably wins this fight. I think Lemos is obviously a step up over Goldie. So again, if Mizuka the full distance with Lemos, kind of a close fight. If she fights that way now, three years later against Goldie, I do believe that she wins this fight. Anu appears to have a major striking advantage. Longer arms, combinations, quicker. All of it's better. Hands get back up to the guard. She spent more time in the bag. You could just sort of see it. And again, significant reach advantage. Because even though they have on tapology like a three or four inch advantage on reach for Mizuki, I think it's bigger than that. Goldie also, by the way, is listed at five foot four. I think Mizuki's taller than her. We'll find out on the, on, the, on the face-offs, but I do believe Mizuki's taller. Now on the ground, Anu has the BJJ skills to match anything that Goldie throws up. Watching film on Mizuki, you'll see her on the ground. She can defend herself. She's not completely outside of you know, her element there though she doesn't do much of an offensive grappling game or offensive grappling, or offensive uh, grappling, I'm sorry. Now, all that said, we're still curious about how does Mizuki respond from a three-year layoff? Now, for Goldie, built like a little pocket Hercules, you know, very jacked, all over Instagram, very proud of her physique, as she should be. Her only UFC win was via armbar over Emily Whitmire. Now, Whitmire is four and five, has since been let go by the UFC. And Goldie looked good in that moment, but you're only as good as who you're fighting against. You know, so I always use the example of if if somebody sent me like outside to break up a fight with like a few kids that were like eight or nine years old, and like they started fighting me, I could beat both those kids up because I'm a grown ass man and they're eight or nine-year-old little kids. I would beat the hell out of these kids, right? So in the case of Hannah Goldie, I'm sorry to say it, but you know, when she's beating Emily Whitmire, it's like me beating up an eight or nine-year-old kid. You know, it just, so um, that sounds so disrespectful, but you kind of catch my drift of what I'm saying. My phone is over here beeping. Uh, Okay, that's just T-Mobile sending me just, my bill's been paid, okay. Thank you for letting me know. Um, The muscular physique, though, also tends to work against Goldie. It's a energy drainer. Her arms are very short. Her her movements are very robotic. I have faded her just about every time she's fought, even against Emily Whitmire, and I, I lost that night. But the fact that Goldie, by the way, here's my little flip side, my half glass, full half glass empty type of take on this. The fact that Goldie has gotten this far, she wasn't a standout athlete in high school or college. She's a late, like, sort of athlete in life. She's in the UFC. Kudos to her to make it this far. Because quite frankly, it's a testament to her determination, her hard work. She's an overachiever. Overachiever. In reality, though, here's reality check. She's going to get beat by a girl who hasn't fought in three years because Mizuki is just more of a skilled fighter. She's more built for this life. Now, if you look at them side by side, damn goalies like all ripped, right? The muscles. Don't let your eyes deceive you. You know, it's, it's not a bodybuilding competition, right? It's a mixed martial arts fight. And Mizuki is much more of the mixed martial artist. And so, yeah, I like Mizuki to win over two and a half rounds. Oh, one more thing here on on Goldie. She's one in three in the promotion. If she were to lose this fight, this could be the last time we see Goldie fighting for UFC. Over two and a half rounds at minus 330. That's a nice spot. The fight goes to full distance at minus 280. And Anu as a parlay piece, which is currently sitting around minus 300. Once again, our prop lock for this fight is going to be the fight going over 2.5 rounds. And we move on. Next up, we have the big boys, heavyweight Jake Collier at plus 115 versus Muhammad Usman at minus 135. We like Jake Collier to win this fight by decision. That's plus 400 currently. It should be that same prop price for a while. I don't see it moving around very much. But the money line has moved. Usman was the favorite, like around minus 150 or so. Money's coming in on Collier, which we agree with. Um, this fight was a fight that was hard for us to break down initially. We torn back and forth, right? And then ultimately, we found the side of Jake Collier to win by decision. Nothing against Usman, but man, this guy's got a very boring fighting style. Is that the best way to put it? And uh, he has some holes in his game. As for details, we'll give you some numbers here. Jake Collier goes by the prototype. He's 13-9 overall, 1-4 in, in his last five. Out of Cuba, Missouri, 34 years old, in 11 months. About to be 35, so very young for a heavyweight. Six foot three, with a 78 and a half inch reach. Out of Pat Smith's pit. For Muhammad Usman, the brother of Kamar Usman, he goes by the Motor. Nine and two overall, good record. He's four and one in his last five. Like right away, you're like four and one in your last five. One and four for Collier. You're like, oh shit, you know, not so simple though. <laughs> for Usman, out of Nigeria, now via Tejas, Thirty-four years old, I believe. Now he trains at a uh, elevation right in Colorado, so I-, I could be wrong. Since he trains at a Fortis MMA, but I don't know. Out of a good gym, probably. Thirty-four years old. So both guys are thirty-four, same age. Six-two for Usman. 79 inch reach, very long arms, but only slightly longer than, than uh, Collier. Both guys have very similar physique. So, size and reach wise, not much of a factor. As for our little handy dandy Excel sheet here, our grading chart, experience wise, an edge to Collier. Obviously, he's fought 13 and 9 compared to 9 and 2. Uh, fighter IQ, listen, all, all, all joking aside, Jake Collier is not a bad fighter, but i always have questions about his discipline. Commitment to his craft because he He used to fight two weight classes down and uh, the reality is I mean nutrition whatever it might be I just I wonder about his discipline towards his craft, but uh, hey who am I to judge? Cardio wise neither guy's got an amazing cardio and Usman looked gassed as F his last fight Collier can look tired too and again it ties into How disciplined he is about you know cardio and nutrition those type of things Finishing ability, yeah. I mean, if Usman lands a big punch, he could finish Collier. Collier doesn't have much finishing ability himself. Eh, Not much of a finisher, either guy. Striking, Usman may hit with more power. And if you watch the fight on Ultimate Fighter, he knocked out the Pauga, whatever. You know, it looked good in the moment, but it was like a very weird jab type of thing. And I'm not so sure Muhammad Usman lands many knockouts in the UFC. He did knock out Tafa. He won that fight by you know just a war of cardio and, and just position control. So I don't know that he knocks out Collier. I just I don't see that happening. I think he could hurt a few people on the way, but very inaccurate puncher, you know? So when it comes to striking, I like to the side of Collier where he's got a little more volume, a little more accurate. And then for grappling, got to give it to Usman. It was an ugly ass fight against his last opponent, but he did grapple his way to victory, holding the guy super ugly. So grappling... Usman, who's a former, I think, college wrestler, former football player for sure, but I think he wrestled a little bit in college as well. And of course, brother of Kamar Usman, not nearly as good of a wrestler though. He's nowhere nearly as a wrestler as his brother. So some props here to consider. I'm sorry, my dog's in the background barking here. The fight goes the full distance, is plus 100. The over 1.5 rounds is minus 225. The fight begins round number two is minus 360. And then Jake Collier to win. That's my method of victory. That's plus 400. I do believe Jake Collier is priced right where he should be, plus 115 pick him range. Surprised he hasn't been that range all along. Surprised that Usman opened up like around minus 140, minus 150. But the market's kind of coming down. The money's kind of coming in on Collier. makes sense. He's more experienced. He's the better overall fighter, in my opinion. People are thinking, well, Usman, the brother, you know, got a few wins in a row, ultimate fighter winner. But yeah, I'm not buying it. So give me, uh, give me the white boy, Jay Collier, to win by decision. Moving up the card, next fight Jacob Malkoon at minus five seventy five versus Cody Brunish at plus four twenty five. Middleweight bout, hundred eighty five pounders. We like Jacob Malkoon to win the fight by a round two submission. That prop is currently listed at plus nine hundred on DraftKings. All right, some numbers here. These two young men, Mister Malkoon, seven and two overall, three and two in his last five. He's from Australia, from Sydney to be exact. Twenty-eight years old, five foot nine with a seventy-three inch reach. Mister Brunnish, the American fighter, eight and five overall, and two and three in his last five. A bit of a struggle recently. He's the dog, of course. We'd mentioned his price at plus four twenty-five. Out of Colorado, twenty-nine years old, six foot nine with a seventy-two inch reach at a factory X Muay Thai. All right, some more numbers for you guys here on our little handy-dandy chart. So, Mister Malcoon, been a professional for six years for four years i feel like Brunish has been fighting longer than that but you know numbers don't lie right experience wise you got seven and two versus eight and five about the same fighter Iq because mal has showed that he can win at a higher clip recently can wrestle not be on his back like Cody has been I give him an edge in fighter IQ in terms of the the game plan he's implementing right cardio he's also the fresher fighter later Cody looked, looked very tired last fight Cody uh, did not look good against Siddiquius Dumas. He accepted position, was on his back for a long time, couldn't get back up. If he didn't see that fight, pull it up. Dumas, who's not known for his grappling, was able to pretty much just swallow up Brunich on the ground. It was not a good look. Finishing skills, neither guy's got much finishing on their record. Uh, I like Malcun in the fight, but not by a finish. Striking, Malcun has more volume, lands at a higher clip, and Brunich sometimes just doesn't throw very much, and I don't think he throws with much power either. For grappling, give me Malcoon as well. The numbers support that. He's a better wrestler, more takedowns, so on and so forth. As for some props to consider here, the fight goes the full distance is plus 100. So that's even money. Betting 10 bucks, you make 10 bucks. The fight going over 1.5 rounds is minus 245. The fight begins round two is our prop lock. That's minus 360. Malcoon to win any type of way within a distance is, minus, is plus 110. I'm sorry. Then Malcoon by a round two submission, which is our method of victory, is plus 900. Again the prop block is the fight begins round number two at minus 360. Okay, as for my notes here on these two fighters, there's only like two things you need to know about this fight, like two very basic principles. Malcoon is a very good wrestler, and Brundage sucks at takedown defense. <laughs> you know, essentially it appears to me like the matchmakers are gifting Malcoon. win like here here's malcoon here's your win go get it is it possible as well the ufc is already planning to let go of brenton so it's like listen just give him this fight give him another l we'll get rid of him anyway just moving on malcoon he can wrestle cody can't defend wrestling (laughs) i can't say enough now cody looked flat in his last fight against dumas looked uninterested unmotivated his corner was, like, yelling at him, like, dude, let's go. He was worn out on the ground by Dumas. And if you look at Dumas, he's not an amazing ground fighter. That's my boy. I like Dumas. i been the show a few times. But he's not an amazing jujitsu fighter or wrestler. So it's like, for a guy like Brundage, who's actually got a wrestling background, now he's going to face a real wrestler. <laughs> like, Dumas is okay at wrestling. Malcolm ain't okay at wrestling. He's really good at wrestling. Expect Malcoon to swallow him up on the ground and control him. Now, though Malcoon is not known for his finishing skills, this might be the chance. He might have a shot here. Brunnage has been finished in two of his last three fights. And I would argue go back and watch the fight against Dumas. If Dumas had a better submission arsenal, was more comfortable working on someone's back, you know, finding rear naked. It's not that he's not good at it. Or can't be good at it. It's just not yet for Dumas. Because Dumas had the back of Brundage for a long period of time in their fight. Just couldn't execute the finish. Malcoon ain't going to play them games. Malcoon is going to submit him if this happens. So, for Malcoon, good matchup. For Cody, horrible matchup. We highly recommend using Malkun as a parlay piece. At minus 575, it breaks our rule. So, we're not going to use it in our parlays. Anything beyond minus 500 odds are just outside of our rule. It's just a rule we have here. But if you're gonna parlay something in this card, Malcoon, you should do it with a lot of confidence. Over 1.5 rounds is minus 275. I could see that. Brennish is kind of a bit of a hard head. He does get finished, but at least a round or so he could survive. And Brennish is a parlay piece. Uh yeah, no. I'm reading my uh <laughs> I'm reading my uh my notes here. I found a typo, and I need to correct it because I just saw here in my, my notes here. Brundage is a parlay piece, which is obviously a typo. I meant Malcoon. Malcoon is a parlay piece. Uh, yeah, Malcoon right here is is the favorite every which way you look at it. I don't know what he did to get this uh, gift from UFC. As I said before, it also might be that the UFC is planning to let go of Brunage, So It's like, listen, just get rid of him anyway. Get this get this win for Malcoon and we shall move on. So again, give me Malcoon to win this fight. I like him to win. And I like him by decision, which is currently sitting at uh I'm sorry, by submission, round number two, which is plus nine hundred. Next up, we have a well to 170 pounders. Tim Meaton's at plus one forty five on the money line versus Andre Fiallo at minus one seventy five. You're like Andre Fiallo to win the fight by round one knockout. That's currently lined at plus 225. Again, Andre Fiala by round one knockout. That is our prediction. Some numbers in these two guys. Mr. Means is 32, 15, and one. Tons of experience. He's three, I'm sorry, two and three in his last five. He goes with the Dirty Bird, by the way. Great nickname, Dirty Bird. Out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Trains out of Fit and HB. He's about to be 40 years old. 39 years old in seven months to be exact. But getting up there in years, Mr. Tim Means. Six foot two will be taller here. And seventy-five inch reach for Mr. Andre Fiallo, who's from Portugal, sixteen and seven overall. Also two and three in his last five. He's the favorite here again at minus one seventy-five. Based now out of Florida, trains out of Kill Cliff FC, wonderful gym. He's twenty-nine years old in five months, six foot in height with a seventy-four inch reach. So height and reach-wise, a slight advantage for Mr. Means. Obviously, a experience advantage as well for Tim Means. But age-wise, you know, clearly twenty-nine is a little bit better than thirty-nine for the purposes of this fight. But for Means, you know. He ain't done yet right <laughs> he's like i ain't done yet coach put me in okay as for my grading chart here in these two guys means has the experience advantage of course been a pro for 19 years compared to nine for fialo and has fought a whole bunch of fights fighter iq edge to means as well fialo's not a bad fighter iq wise but he is very risque he's a bit of a killer be kill type of guy so with tim means He has more propensity to win by decision, for example. Whereas Fialo, it's like, if I can't win by a knockout, I'll get knocked out. Cardio, back in the day, means would have had an advantage here. Uh, Fialo has issues with gassing out a little bit, you know, kind of throwing everything he can to the opponent in the first two rounds and sort of slowing down. It means now it's about age. So, cardio wise, neither guy is very impressive. Finishing ability. Yeah, Fialo hits with a ton of bricks, and if he lands the right punch, he will knock out Means. Uh, He's just a very dangerous guy, and so finishing ability, I think, is on the side of Fialo. Striking? Ah, You know, again, Fialo hits a lot harder, but if he can't land the big big shot, Means has more volume, better technique. It's going to be a toss-up there as to who's the better striker in this fight. Depends on the result, right? And then when it comes to grappling, Means has got a means to submit people. He's actually pretty good on the ground. Got some submission, submission skills. So on the ground... Means could be dangerous, especially let's say if Fiala gets tired after to Find out, you know, the veteran Tim means those veterans don't lose their judicial skills, right? That's the last thing to go for those guys. Some props to consider here the fight does not go the full distance, minus 225. The fight ends by a knockout at minus 165. Tim means to win inside the distance. That's like round two, round three. If Fiala gets tired, maybe knocks him out, TKO submits him. That's plus 380, under two and a half rounds, minus 175. The round one knockout, which is our method of victory for Andre Fiallo, is plus 225. And the fight going no distance at minus 225 is our prop lock. All right, let me get over here back to my notes on these two guys. So again, Tim Means at plus 145. Fiallo's 175. We like Fialo by round one knockout. Now, Fiallo lives dangerously. Yeah, this guy lives on the edge. He fights an exciting style. He goes for it. Nine of his last 10 bouts have not gone the distance. Now, just about all of those fights ended by a knockout that weren't by decision, some by him, some by his opponent. <laughs> He's been finished five times as well. So, you know, durability is a problem. fighter IQ is a problem. Prior to the UFC, Fiallo did gain valuable experience in Bellator and the PFL. He enters this fight on a three-fight losing streak, he was finished in all three of those fights. <laughs> so again, look, it's fun watching Fiallo fights. But he either wins by a knockout or he's gonna get knocked out. It's very simple. This fight probably will end by a knockout. And again, that price tag on that is uh minus 165. Yeah, the books are aware of this too. <laughs> it's gonna be a crash and burn situation for Andre Fiallo. Either he knocks out Tim Means early, he gets tired, he gets knocked out himself. You know what I'm saying? So that's just sort of some thoughts on how. Andre Fialo fights. right For Means, he's a veteran with more than 50 fights under his belt. He made his UFC debut 11 years ago. That was his UFC debut. Now, one thing that separates him from Fialo is the ground game. Means has a quality jiu G- G- attack, whereas Fialo is exclusively a stand-up fighter or a stand-up boxer. If Means can get the fight to the mat, especially I'm saying rounds two and three, find himself a compromised Fialo, not a hurt Fialo, just slightly a little bit tired Fialo because that first two minutes or so Fiello, if he hits Means the right way, he's going to knock him the F out. Fiello hits with a lot of power. But after that, like that first little bit of time, it's that Mike Tyson syndrome, like the power diminishes. And now it's like, hey, you're in the cage with a veteran who's fought like tons of fights and tons of rounds. Yeah, it gets squirrely there, right? If Means can get the fight to the mat, late round two, round three, I could see this thing getting squirrely. So, you know, like Fiallo, Means is also on a three fight losing streak. This is desperation time. Means is fighting for maybe his career, you know, whereas Fiallo might be fighting for his. Con- I don't know. The, the UFC probably wouldn't cut Fiallo. He's so fun to watch. But Means is definitely fighting for, like, I don't know, respect, something. Because even if Means wins, he may the retire. It's about the end of the year. I mean, who knows? He got plans. He's you know, getting older. But um, Means by submission might be worth a, a little sprinkle there at some point. The betting, spots like the, the betting spots, I'm sorry, like the most of this fight, though, are under two and a half rounds. That's minus 200. The fight does not go the full distance at minus 225. And the fight ends by knockout at minus 165. And again, if you like Fialo, it's that round one knockout situation. If you like Means, it's that round two, round three area with him maybe sneaking up with a submission. All right, let's move on. Next up, weight bout between Miles Johns and Daniel Argueta, Mr. Argueta's is lined at currently at minus 185. John's at plus 155. John's at 13-2 overall. Daniel Argueta, 9-1. Before we get to the whole breakdown of this fight, we'll tell you right now that we do like Daniel Argueta win by decision. That's line currently at plus 150. That's not a good return. Suggests to me that the market knows what we know. He probably wins by decision, right? Abandon weight bout, smaller guys, very athletic, both fairly durable. Of course, Argueta had a very impressive performance in his last fight. It wasn't counted as a win, but we all saw what he was doing there to Ryan Lawrence. We'll talk about that in a second. As for details, these two guys, so Mr. Miles Johns goes by Chapo, like El Chapo, 13-2 and two overall, 3-2 in his last five, out of Dallas, Texas, 29 years old, five 5'7", 66-inch reach, out of Fortis MMA. For Dan Arcueta, who goes by the determined, he's 9-1 and overall, former college wrestler, Three, one and one in his last five should be four and one. I mean, that last fight went to a no contest or draw, or whatever. He earned a submission. It was just the referee making a mistake and stepping in too quickly. Uh, we saw that again recently with uh, Tyone, right? For Argueta, out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, thirty years old, five foot seven with a sixty-eight inch reach, out of Jackson, Wink MMA, also trains out of UFC Jim Costa Mesa. All right, some more numbers here for you guys. Is my grading on these two? Experience wise, advantage miles. Cardio, advantage Argueta. IQ, finishing ability, and stamina. I'm sorry, strength, uh, sorry, striking, all about the same. Grappling, edge to Argueta. Again, former college wrestler. If you watch him fight, when he commits to the wrestling and the grappling, it's it's impressive. When he messes around on the feet too long, it's where things get a little squirrely for him. But on the ground, pretty legit. The props like here are the fight goes the full distance at minus 150, over 1.5, minus 350. Submission went for Argueta at plus 400. But the method of victory for us is going to be Argueta by decision at plus 150. The prop lock here is the fight goes over 1.5 at minus 350. As for my notes in this fight, excusez-moi. So Johns has been in the UFC roster for a little over four years. During that time, he's put together a 4-2 record. He's a balanced fighter, prefers to mix things up, grappling, not, I wouldn't categorize him, for example, as like a, a long-distance striker jabbing. He's more of a dirty boxer, does do a good job striking too, but needs to mix in dirty boxing and grappling. The downside for Johns is that he's a low-volume striker who has recently been inconsistent. He's 3-2 and two in his last five fights, and he's been finished in all of his defeats, including once as an amateur. One of his keys to success, though, in this fight is defending takedowns and getting back to his feet if he is taken down. Johns cannot win a fight off of his back. That goes without saying, right? Or with Argueta backpacking him, right? So keep in mind, one more thing. Johns has legit wrestling. He does have a bit of wrestling in his background. He need to channel that inner wrestler in him to be able to defend himself against Argueta. For Argueta, former Ultimate Fighter contestant, a few years ago, two years ago to be exact, where he lost his only fight in that fight or on that season against Ricky Tarussiars. And you're like, oh, no. He lost against who? Because Ricky Tarusios, he ain't good. He no good. He's not that good at all. Matter of fact, I mean, it's all ha-ha-ha. Like, he just, he's a nice dude, inspiring guy to hear talk. But he ain't good. And yet, somehow, Arcueta lost that fight. But Arcueta has changed, evolved, and gotten better since then. And to his credit, he's 4-1 since that fight. That last fight, he should have won that fight, too. That referee stopped it. It was a mistake. He submitted Ronnie Lawrence, who's a good grappler, a good wrestler in his own right. Now that we've got Argueta on track, we're seeing the best of him, what he could become. He's feeling himself. On Instagram, he was posting videos or short clips and you know, photos of him showing up at the UFC this week. He, he's just a very confident young man. And a guy who's been competing for years, I want to emphasize again, former not state champion but state champion type of level you know, wrestler in high school, wrestled in college. He's been competing for a long time. It's not his first rodeo, right? So the strong wrestling, competitive background, he should have a smooth path to victory just using his wrestling alone. No matter how you slice it, this fight right here is probably one of the more closely matched fights that when you actually break it down. Because here's the thing. (laughs) Even though we do like Dan Argueda a lot to win the fight, it's not like Miles Johns is a bad fighter. He's actually a pretty good wrestler. So the line is correct here. Minus 185 for Argueta, plus 155 for Miles Johns. That's about right. And if you're betting on Miles Johns, I hear you. I, I totally hear you. So it's a close fight. I'm not parlaying Argueta by any means. I'm choosing him to win by decision, but it's around 50-50. You know? Now that last fight for Argueta, though, in a little bit of a capsule, he looked good. If he comes out here with that kind of mojo, that who knows what he's capable of? But that was just one little snapshot. It was one fight, and it didn't really count, honestly, right? So just, just you know, putting it out there. Argueta um, by submission. Just saying could be could be an opportunity there, right? The spots we do like the most, though, are the over one point five rounds at minus three fifty. The fight goes the distance at minus one fifty. So again, over one point five minus three fifty. Fight goes the full distance at minus one fifty. Argueta by submission at plus four hundred. Then Argueta. Maybe it's a parlay piece, maybe on the main line. I don't know. I can't uh, take that step. That would be a little bit much. But give me Daniel Argueta by decision. Let's move on. The main card opens up with a banger. Charles Air Jordan at minus 135 versus Ricardo Ramos at plus 115. Lined appropriately. It's a, it's a coin flip fight. You can flip a coin and go from there because both guys have phenomenal talent. It's a wonderful fight to open the main card. Maybe a sleeper but this entire fight card. You got some heavyweight fights. You know, it's a mix of some female fights. The main card is obviously going to be a banger, a five-round fight. But this right here has the makings to be for the night because Charles Air Jordan is all entertainment, spectacular finishing ability on the ground and the feet. And Ricardo Ramos, who's now coming off of a bit of a small layoff, had some disruptions. He's thirsty to prove himself. Someone probably gets finished. I'll say that right now. Okay, so before we get to the breakdown, I'll tell you that we do like Charles Jourdain by decision. I just said something to finish, and I'm just going to my, contradict myself, right? Jourdain by decision at plus 215 is our method of victory, our pick, our prediction. Jourdain minus 135, Ramos plus 115. As their numbers, Mr. Jourdain is 14, 6, and 1 overall, 3 to his last 5. He hails from Quebec, Canada, 27 years old, 5'9", so was Ramos. Reach wise, about three inches on the side of Ramos. And then for Jordan out of Academia Pro Start MMA. For Mr. Ramos, 16 and four overall, three and two in his last five, as well as Jordan. Mr. Ramos is from Sao Paulo, Brazil, 28 years old. So age wise, with the same height wise, reach, you know, same, same, but different. For Ramos out of Team Alpha Male and China Team. China Team. Interesting. That's just like other gym he trains at. In China? I don't know. Okay talking more numbers here. Let me show you my little Excel sheet, Excel sheet and the grading chart here. What do we got? What do we got? Main card. All right. So, experience wise, 14, 6, and 1, versus 16, and 4. Comparable competition. About the same. Fighter IQ. Same, same. Cardio. Slight advantage for Charles Jordan. Finishing ability. Both have finishing skills, but both also can go the full distance, happen the full distance. Cardio, you know, and finishing ability kind of ties in. I think Jordain could outlast Ramos if it gets ugly. So finishing ability, we'll see. Striking, Jordain has an advantage. Better technique, more volume, better cardio. Grappling, also Jordan has himself a nasty submission game. People forget this guy's got submissions even off his back. Nasty. Some props here. Fight no distance. That's minus 125. Over 1.5, minus 250. The fight begins round number two. Is minus 400 that's our prop block and the method of victory for jordain plus 215 all right let me pull back up this screen here and read to you my breakdown on my notes so jordain by decision is the prediction that's plus 215 tough fight to read a matter of fact a fight that we had the hardest time of all on the fight card a fight where we said before flip a coin somebody could get finished we could go to a longer fight i don't know i'm lost here i be honest with you, it's a tough fight to call. At the end of the day, the props we have, ones we recommend, I think I'm good with. But the winner, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Ramos is coming to the cage after about a year and a half layoff. During that time, he had multiple fight cancellations. One cancellation for Ramos because he missed weight, and he missed weight badly. It was like the last fight earlier really this year. So he's kind of like coming in here like on a bit of a short string. Like the UFC doesn't like that kind of stuff. He's good striking. World class jiu-jitsu, seven of his wins are by submission. I'm talking about Ramos. So Ramos typically likes to start quickly, go for a finish early on. If he can't, if, can, if he can't get a finish early on, kind of runs into trouble, right? Gets himself a little tired. He'll give Jordan all he can handle in the first round, but uh, from there we'll see what happens. For Jordan, talented Canadian fighter, very well rounded. Now, though Jordan is known for his striking, his jiu jitsu is very good. Excuse me about the sneeze here. <clears throat> <clears throat> all right <clears throat> one mistake by a fatigued Ram- one mistake by a fatigued ramos could result in a submission win for jordain it would be wise for jordain to extend the bout beyond the first round kind of see if ramos can hold up see if he's got the cardio right and i think for jordain he'll find himself a lot easier dealing with ramos when ramos is a little bit more tired now additionally jordain needs to be mindful of trading with ramos Jordan has a propensity for violence. He likes to trade, make it exciting for the crowd. He talks about this in interviews, and he does it. He backs it up. He's kind of got a little bit of that Justin Gaethje in him. I don't want to do that, though. (laughs) I want him to, like, calm down, fight a good, smart game plan. Because if he does that with Ramos, it'll be super fun and exciting for the crowd. But he could get knocked out. Now, Jordan lands 5.78 strikes per minute compared to 3.32 for Ramos. So just right there, mathematically on paper, he could win the fight. Just fighting a smart fight. Ramos secures 2.8, 2.58. I'm sorry, takedowns per fight, while Jordan averages 0.10. So now if Ramos can get some takedowns, you know, could have the advantage there. This fight comes down to which fighter can implement their game plan. Pretty simple, as most fights do. But in this case, here one guy has a better takedown offense, one guy has better striking offense. Which guy can implement their game plan? Which other fighter can resist the other fighter's game plan? I like Jordan here. I like him to win the fight by decision. Should be very close. The fight begins round two, minus 400 as a prop. Very, very chalky. I get it, but for me, a parlay piece. It's it's a low sweat piece. Just give me five minutes, boys, and I'm out of here. Right. Watch the rest of the fight. I'm cool. I don't really care who wins. Over 1.5 rounds, minus 250. Way better value. Also a good spot. And then Jordan to win. Currently sitting at minus 135. I'll have a play on that. That's your breakdown. Let's move on. Next up on the main card, Brian Battle, lined at minus 185 versus A.J. Fletcher at plus 155. We do like Brian Battle to win this fight by decision. That's currently lined at plus 225. Again, a welterweight about 170 pounders, two American fighters. Before we get into the details of our breakdown, let's talk to you about the numbers, the basics, right? What are the numbers in these two guys? So Battle is 9-2 overall. A.J. Fletcher is 10-2 experience-wise. Very similar. Battle is 4-1 in his last five out of Charlotte, North Carolina. He fought on the UFC Charlotte card, right? and Did very well. Had a nice finish. Had a big, obviously, support from the crowd. He was crying in the octagon. It was kind of a cool moment. 29 years old, six foot one in height with a 77-inch reach out of Carolina Combat Sports and Fitness. For A.J. Fletcher, oh, I have that over here, too. Two screens, same thing. A.J. Fletcher goes by the ghost because he's probably so light-skinned. I'm just joking. I don't know. His tapology photo looks like he saw a ghost, but uh, he goes with the ghost. AJ Fletcher, 10 and 2 overall, 3 and 2 in his last five. Plus uh, what is he at? Plus uh 155 right now. Listed plus 165 on tapology, but he's plus 150 range from Lafayette, Louisiana, former college football player, by the way, linebacker. 26 years old, five foot ten with a sixty seven inch reach out of Gladiator Academy. If you haven't seen AJ Fletcher fight, this guy's he's about that life. I'll tell you what. Doesn't back down from a fight. And if he could make some small improvements here or there, he could be a problem. He could definitely be a problem. All right, let me pull up the Excel sheet real quickly here and give you my grades in these two guys. So experience-wise, same, same. Fighter IQ, give me Brian Battle, has more ways to succeed, has better cardio, more of a fluent strength, more of a balanced fighting style. Finishing ability? They both have it. I'm not sure who's the better finisher. We'll find out uh, on Saturday. Striking-wise, give me Brian Battle, the more fluid striker, better volume, better cardio, all those things tie in. Now, grappling, I got to give it to A.J. Fletcher, former high school wrestler, former college football player. You see it in his loins. He can wrestle, double leg takedown, pretty good on top. If he can get down battle, that's the key to success, you know, for for Fletcher. The props here we like are the fight goes the full distance at plus 130. The fight begins round two at minus 330. The fight goes over 1.5 at minus 200. The split props are alive and well. The split for battle is plus 1,100. The split for AJ Fletcher is plus 1,600. And battle by decision is plus 225. The prop lock is minus 330. Okay. Let me read to you guys my... uh, notes in these two guys. So Brian Battle by decision is the prediction. For Fletcher, the guy's a jacked well-to-weight with the physique of a middle linebacker. He averages almost two takedowns per fight, 1.92 to be exact, and has a chin of steel. Fletcher starts off strong, likes to intimidate his opponents with powerful punches against inferior competition, like guys, for example, like Demba Garimbo. He rolls to victory. When he takes a step up in competition, though, it's a different story. Fletcher came up short against guys like Angelusa, And Samuelsberger because of his fighter IQ and lack of endurance. Now, to his credit, I'm talking about A.J. Fletcher, that is. He wills his way to decisions even when he's exhausted. If Fletcher can improve his endurance, just some more road work, you know, just something to get his cardio improved. This guy could be a problem in this division. He's built built like a tree trunk, strong as F, can take punishment, doesn't back down, has the right mentality. We're very curious to see on Saturday, has he improved his cardio. For battle... And there's this bout off of an exciting round two submission at UFC Jacksonville earlier this year. After winning the ultimate fighter in 2021, two years ago, battles off to a 4-1 start in the UFC. This guy's an overachiever. You go back on his story, he was overweight, like got into like mixed martial arts to kind of lose some weight. You can see pictures of him from like a few years ago, like five, six, seven years ago. Totally transformed. Goes in the ultimate fighter. He's like the guy you wouldn't least expect to win. Wins the show. Now he's 4-1 in the UFC. He did miss weight last fight, but whatever. Still won by submission. He'll have a slight height and reach advantage here in this fight over Fletcher. Battle is the more balanced of the two fighters. He has multiple paths to victory. Four of his last five wins were into the distance, and he has the card us one of the scorecards. For Fletcher, he's never been finished, so Battle's going to have a hard time finishing him, which is part of the reason why I think Battle will win the fight by decision. If the fight gets out of the first round, Battle probably has all the advantages. Just volume, endurance, skill set, even just emotionally. I think battle's more of a calmer, like that zen kung fu type of guy. Fletcher, for all the good things he does, he, t- he gets himself very wound up, and he's jacked, gets fatigued, that type of thing. The betting spots should be like, or the fight starts round number two at minus 330, the over 1.5 rounds at minus 200, and then battle as a parlay piece. Let's move on. Next fight, Marina Rodriguez at minus 310 versus Michelle Watterson Gomez at plus 250. We got a female bout. Strawweight division, 115 pounders. We like Michelle Waterson Gomez by decision. That's plus 350. Again, Michelle Gomez by decision. She is a dog here at plus 250. Again, on the main line. It's not that we don't like Marina Rodriguez. We are big fans of her work. And at her best, she's exciting. Volume and pace and pressure. And But... It's a female fight that probably goes to full distance. And we've learned anything recently. These judges, (laughs) anything is possible. You know, Michelle Waterson Gomez got robbed in her last fight. So why not this time around? She gets the robbery. I'm just just sort of speculating. I'm not very confident either way on who wins. It's more of a dog or pass play. But give me Waterson by decision at plus 350. Before we get more into the breakdown, let me go over the numbers in these two wonderful fighters. So for Marina Rodriguez, 16, 3 and 2 overall, 3 and 2 in her last five. She's from Brazil. 36 years old, 5 foot, 6 foot, 65 inch reach out of CT Thai Brazil, Floripa. For Michelle Waterson Gomez, who goes by, of course, the Karate Hottie, one of the best nicknames ever, 18 and 11 overall, but 1 and 4 in her last five. It should be at the very least 2 and 3, because that last fight again, they robbed her ass. Out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, 37 years old. I would say, you know, up there in years, but Marina's 36, they're both over 35. Same wheelhouse. Five foot three for Michelle makes sense, a little bit shorter than Rodriguez and a 62-inch reach. So Rodriguez has a has a length and height advantage here over Gomez. And for Gomez out of Jackson Wink MMA, which is of course in New Mexico. Makes sense. Good gym. All right. Let me go over here to our little handy-dandy Excel sheet. Let's talk some more numbers for you guys. Grading chart, experience-wise, advantage Gomez. Fighter IQ, advantage Gomez. Cardio, they both have good cardio. You know, they both can go the full three rounds, good energy level, good pace, good pressure. I mean, Marina Rodriguez hangs her hat on pace and pressure. So, cardio-wise, very similar. Finishing skills, yeah, that's not what they're known for. (laughs) Look at their, their records, their finishes. There's no finishing going on either side. Striking, Rodriguez. She's the more powerful of the two strikers, and she's still the most powerful, but she's a little more power, a little more volume. And of course, I'm talking about just numbers. Look up the volume on the stats, more volume from, from Marina. Now, grappling, Marina doesn't do any wrestling, no offensive wrestling. And a matter of fact, even a few years ago when she was kind of rising up the ranks and like making a move and doing good things before she went on her recent losing streak, I thought to myself as soon as she faces a wrestler, this girl's in trouble. And so that's the problem. She cannot defend takedowns, can't get back up, and doesn't do any offensive wrestling. For Gomez, she does do some wrestling. Over two and a half rounds at minus 395, I like that spot. The fight goes the full distance at minus 330. The split props here are alive and well. Rodriguez by split, plus 600. Gomez by split, plus 1,100. Gomez by decision, plus 350. The prop lock here is over 2.5 rounds at minus 395. Okay, as for our notes, back to my notes on these two fighters here. I got a swig of my juice. Marina, minus 310. Gomez, plus 250. So, Rodriguez, in the midst of a two fight losing streak, four and three in her last seven. Prior to her recent defeats, she was quickly rising up the ranks. She looked good. She drowns out her opposition with volume and pace. Rodriguez lands 4.58 strikes per minute compared to 3.63 for Gomez. Now, if Rodriguez can't simply keep it standing, like, that's the thing for Rodriguez. Keep it standing and she wins. Pretty simple. Get take it down, no win. <laughs> it's that simple, right? So Gomez in my opinion is a step down for Rodriguez over her last opponent, right? So this is a fight where she coming off of, you know, Lemos, Ginger Gen- 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 Jan Roba. She should win this fight. She's fought better competition, she's held her own. This is a fight where Rodriguez should bounce back and should win against a fighter who seems to be aging out and slowing down. And out of one, one and four in the last five, should, emphasizing should. <laughs> for Gomez, employs an active pace and never stands still. Gomez is the karate-style fighter, dancing, moving. Well, not dancing, but, you know, in at a range, a lot of movement, which is good for her, keeps her safe, right? Don't stand in trade with Marina. Marina wants to stand in trade, uh, especially with Gomez, who has no, you know, no, not known for her knockout power. So for Gomez, coming off a split decision loss earlier this year, many fans thought she won. I thought she won. She needs to be careful here, though, with Rodriguez. Don't stay in trade with her. That's what Rodriguez wants to do. A boxing match favors Rodriguez. On the flip side for Gomez, a ground fight, mixing in some ground takedowns, so a few close rounds of a takedown the other round, that would benefit Gomez. It'll come down to who can impose their fight style. It's a repetitive theme, this entire breakdown, right? but it comes down to that in most fights. right? Who can do their fighting style here? They have to win. For Marina, it's like Neither guys are gonna fight. Neither girls are gonna knock each other out. Right. That's the bottom line. So we're going to the scorecards. If Marina's on the on the feet for three rounds, she wins. If Michelle Waterson mixes in enough takedown stuff, has a few just wow moments in the feet, give her the win here by split. Right. So, all right. Now combined here, these two ladies combined, they are one in seven in their last eight fights. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So you know these are girls that both need a win they're both desperate for a win for michelle waterson maybe fighting for the rest of her career maybe get let go let go after this i don't know neither fighter has much finishing skills this matchup comes down to it's going to decision at that point it's like what do judges see it's in the eyes of the beholder and judges are weird it's a female fight so anything's possible give me the dog right over 2.5 rounds minus 395 fight goes the full distance Or Mike fight goes to decision at minus three thirty. Gomez on the money line, then Gomez by a split and Rodriguez by a split. So the split props again are the prices are here. Split for Rodriguez is plus six hundred. Split for Gomez plus eleven hundred. Gonna be close. Two ladies who are over thirty five, and for some reason Rodriguez is minus three ten. It's a it's a bit of a trap here. I feel like people are gonna parlay Rodriguez, and they might regret it. So it's a dog or pass play for me. Gimme Gomez, gimme Gomez, by decision, let's move on. And here we are, up to the co-main event. Bryce Mitchell, minus 205, up against Dan, 50K, Ige, plus 170, a featherweight clash, 145 pounders. We're going to go with Dan Ige by decision. That's lined at currently plus 450. I know, I know. People are probably hearing this saying, what do you mean going against Bryce Mitchell? I was on Bryce Mitchell at first glance. I was. I mean, full disclosure, amazing wrestling and, you know, I, you know American kid, got the camo, you know, pants and, and obviously lost against Ilya Taporia, but Ilya Teporia's a bit of a different, you know, cat, right? A bit of a different animal. And so at first glance, yeah, I was thinking Bryce Mitchell. And then I looked into the fight further and the numbers, stats, the reality versus perception, and man perception is crazy perception can screw with all of us like like Patrick Mahomes good example Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs he's so good and he's so talented like you can't you can't see them losing right and just simple games and they do lose games they lose games all the time that they're favored in I mean I should say all the time they lose games as favorites that's usually how it happens because they're always favored so in the case of Bryce Mitchell, it's this kind of guy where there's a perception around him as being this, you know, very good grappler and, and good ground game, twister, and, you know. But we'll talk about that more as to how that perception is sort of like skewed the market here. The numbers don't support this money line. The actual stats, the fight stats, the, the, the resumes, the background, their ability, their technique does not support Mitchell being a 2-1 favorite. Now, can Mitchell still win? Can Mitchell out wrestle Dan Ige and win by decision like he usually does? Yes, yes, all those things are true. I'm not saying those things are true. I am not saying Dan Ige wins this fight easily either. Okay, I'm not suggesting that. But uh, I do like Dan Ige to win. Let's talk here about their stats, their numbers, and I'll give you more information about why I like Dan Ige to win the fight. Featherweight bout, 145 pounders. Bryce Mitchell, of course, goes by Thug Nasty. 15 and one overall, four one his last five. That one loss being against. Leah Tapuria. He's from Searcy, Arkansas. 28 years old, 11 months, so about to be 29 for Bryce Mitchell. 5'10 with a 70 inch reach at a Parata MMA. For Dan 50K Ige, one of the best nicknames ever, because it rhymes, right? 17 and 6 overall. 2 and 3 in his last 5. People are fading him in part because of that. Rough stretch. 5 more L's than Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell's 15 and 1 for a reason. High winning percentage, so on and so forth. Dan Ige hails from Hawaii, Hawaii. Yes, 32 years old. He's from the island there. So he's, you know, compadres with the guys like, you know, um, <laughs> all the guys that I can't remember their names now. For some Max Holloway, those guys that are from Hawaii, um, Kai Kamaka, you know, that kind of crew. Anyway, Dan Ige, 32 years old, so fears older, not too old by any means, has taken some damage. His face is kind of beat up a little bit, a lot of scar tissue, but not too old by any means. Five foot seven, so he is shorter by a few just here. According to topology, which makes sense. Danny is not a very tall guy. Seventy one inch reach out of Extreme Couture, which these gyms they go in waves, right? You know, like City Kickboxing and then you know Kill Cliff. It's it's like every you know in waves. Right now, of course, Extreme Couture is it's the spot. You know, Sean Strickland and <laughs> handful of guys over like in PFL or whatever. But, you know, they have a jungle of good fighters in there. Even their average fighters, a lot of them you would recognize. You, oh, they train an extreme coach. It's a, it's a it's a, a, warehouse of a facility. Great coaching. Good gym. I can go on and on about it. So that's a good program for Dan Ega. He's surrounded by talent. He's coached by top-level fighters. That is an issue for Bryce Mitchell. Before I get further breakdown, he's been criticized for training at sort of like a hometown type of gym, not formally training at like the the Kill Cliffs and stuff. And he's a bit of like an old fashioned dude. He's like, yeah, a little elbow grease, I can get her done. You know, it's like, I got it. I like I like the, the the confidence. Nothing wrong, with a little bit of confidence. But at some point, we're at the at elite level here. It would probably help Bryce Mitchell if he can get outside of his comfort zone, leave Arkansas. Which I don't know about you guys. I haven't heard of any. You know, top notch gyms in Arkansas. No offense, but you know, make the move. He's not that far. If you're in Arkansas, you're not that far from shit. Nevada. Thing is, he probably doesn't want to go there because Mitchell is a is a outdoorsman. He likes to hunt. He likes to enjoy the mother nature. He likes to talk about politics, UFOs, and all the likes. And so, <laughs> you know, something like you know Las Vegas would probably be outside of his comfort zone. With all joking aside, that that's one of the things I think holding him back. If he can get himself into a higher caliber environment like Dan Ige is doing, then I think Bryce Mitchell will see the best of him. Until then, we're going to just see the, you know, the best of who he can be, like that whole phrase, right? You're, you're a big fish in a small pond, right? Ultimately, that has limitations, right? Let's talk here more about the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. All right, so on these two guys here, Mitchell's been a pro for eight years, so has Ige experience-wise, very similar competition, though. I, I will say Dan Ige has fought the better guys, better strength of schedule, Fighter IQ, both guys have have employed good decision making in the octagon. I don't think either guy is a dumb fighter. Neither one of them is also championship material yet. So very even keel on the fighter IQ rating. For cardio, I do think ige has got better cardio. If you look at what Bryce Mitchell looked well, he looked like at the other last fight against uh, Ilya Taporia, he looked tired. He looked tired. I, I think if the fight gets ugly and greasy, we could see Dan Ige extending himself, um, looking better than Mitchell. At the end, finishing ability. <sighs> Neither guy amazing finisher. The numbers don't support high finish rates. Striking, Dan Ige is he's a better striker, but it's not close. My numbers, my rating scale here suggests that it's a slight bump up, but he's significantly better striker than Mitchell. Now grappling, I got to give the edge to Mitchell because the numbers support it, right? Because he has the takedowns, position control, he has that. All right, so I'm just talking wrestling takedowns. I got to give Mitchell that, but again, Danny is a former state champion wrestler. Wrestled in college, you know, it's not like he, you know, can't hold him, you know, hold his own on the mat as well. Fight goes the full distance, minus 200 over 1.5, minus 450 submission prop for Danny Gay plus 1400. Danny Gay ITD, which is inside the distance at plus 350. Then Danny Gay to win by decision at plus 450. The over 1.5 minus 450 is the prop lock. Okay. As for the uh, the notes here, all right. So Mitchell's a wrestler with a limited stand-up game. He averages three point two six takedowns per fight, while only landing two point four eight strikes per minute. So right there, wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Limited striking. Now, clearly, Mitchell prefers to wrestle. He begin he began his career with eight straight submission wins, and here's where the fairy tale starts. Right. Follow me on this. I'm gonna tell you the truth. I'm gonna tell you what I th- what I thought. Before I even picked up a single opened a, f- a single screen, topology, profile, background, records, or anything on Bryce Mitchell, I immediately assumed here's the guy who does a lot of wrestling and does twisters. So high level jujitsu. That was part of my assumption. If somebody asked me two weeks ago, last 10 fights, how many submissions for Bryce Mitchell? Over under three. I'm saying over three, right? I'm going to ask you now, if you didn't ever look up his record before this, Now, if you did before you're cheating, but if you had looked at Bryce Mitchell before hearing this and said, hey, over or under three submissions in the last 10 fights, you what would you guess? I would have said over three submissions. And it's wild how one moment, a, a few seconds in a career can change the trajectory of the perception of how people see somebody, okay? In the case of Mitchell, he had that moment. I'm going to talk about that more in just a second. Let me go ahead and uh, get more into the the meat of this breakdown. So Dan Ige, by decision, is our prediction, right? We're going through the notes here on Mitchell. And based on Mitchell's resume and his film study, he lacks striking power in 20 total MMA fights, amateur included for Mitchell, 20 fights, amateur included. He has never knocked someone out. He only has one finish in his last 10 fights, to answer that question. One finish in his last 10 fights, and it was by submission, and it was that twister against somebody who's no longer in the UFC. Quite frankly, Bryce Mitchell is one of the most one-dimensional fighters on the roster. Tapuria shredded his ass on the feet in the last fight. He bullied him. On the ground, it was no better. Tapuria bullied his ass there as well. Is it possible Bryce Mitchell might just simply be a tad bit overrated? And, look, I'm not saying not on the roster or, or bad dude or, you know, he the alien stuff. Like, look, all that stuff. I kind of like his one-liners, his stuff about 9 and stuff. It's kind of cool. It's endearing. It's cute. It's funny. Gets the people going. But he might be a bit overrated, and I was in the boat. Leading up to his fight with Teporia, I want to say I think it even maybe picked him to win that fight. Because they're wrestling. I'm like, oh, this guy's twisting people up, man. Twister, man. You know what I mean? Go back further. Bryce Mitchell lost to Brad Katona on The Ultimate Fighter. You're like, is that true? Yeah, it's true. I had to look that one up two times. Like, he lost to Brad Katona? Like, Brad is not terrible. But again, if you ask me, having a beer with you and a bar, Who's better, Bryce Mitchell or Brackatona? Who do you think, dude? About Bryce Mitchell, man. I'm like Bryce Mitchell's way better than that Brackatona, that little midget over there from Ireland, whatever, whatever that guy is. Well, they fought, and Brackatona beat him. Matter of fact, Brackatona submitted his ass. <laughs> Actually, Mitchell, Bryce Mitchell has been submitted in all three of his defeats. If you include the amateur loss, he had one amateur loss, and it was by submission. <laughs> It just begs to ask the question, how does a guy who literally hangs his hat on ground fighting, all of his losses, he got submitted? And I'll tell you, when he tapped out against Deporier, he didn't put up much of a fight. He was very cognitive. It was like, a, huh, you know, I'm good on this, man. <laughs> I'm busted up. And so, the, you know, the, the tough guy from Arkansas, who, when I say tough guy, I don't. Bryce Mitchell's not an asshole. He doesn't come off to me like the kind of guy he's like, you know, he seems actually fairly respectable kind of dude, but he does have this like, you know, I'm a tough dude. I'm from Arkansas. You know, I hunt for my food. <laughs> he tapped with the quickness to pour it, to pour it you know, turn him out real fast. So once again, I asked the question, how does a guy who that's the only thing that he's good at and people are finishing him there and the people who are finishing him there, they're finishing him there. They're not known for finishing people there. Or in some cases, they're not even that good. Huh, that got me to think it too. Shit. Bryce Mitchell's a really good fighter. I like him. Hope he stays in UFC for a long time. But maybe he's not an elite grappler. Maybe he's not an elite jiu-jitsu practitioner. Maybe the perception that he's really good on the ground is all just, we just made it up in our head. That one moment, that twister. I mean, is it possible that Bryce Mitchell is nothing more than just a below average wrestler? who needs to really up his craft, make improvements, move to a bigger gym. A lot of reminders here of Jorge Masvidal. Side note, look at Jorge Masvidal's tapology, his resume. He knocks out Ben Askren with the flying knee, and then he literally banked off of that the rest of his career, even to this day. He would win his next fight against Nate Diaz and the whole BMF thing. And then lose every single fight after that. But had all of us taking every single fight that he was going into that he had a shot. And the biggest, the biggest misconception on, on uh my man Jorge Masvidal, just like I think with Bryce Mitchell. Because again, perception of Bryce Mitchell is he's an elite grappler. He'll he'll twist you up, he'll get you down there. He's so good on the ground, he's amazing. I just told you about a bunch of stuff that sort of suggests otherwise. In the case of jorge masvidal the word in the street was oh i used to fight in the streets i got hands like i would fight for a living bare knuckle i'm in the backyards all those things were kind of true about jorge but it makes martial arts the idea that he was such a lethal striker that he was you know knocking people like his hands were so good that was all born from the ben askren fight and we all can admit ben askren <laughs> You know? like That was a very fortunate moment for him. Now, fast forward. Who's a better striker? You're having a beer with me in the bar. Kamar Usman or Jorge Masvidal? See, so here we go. Perception would tell you, oh, Jorge Masvidal. Well, then how Jorge, Masvidal? Jorge Masvidal got knocked the fuck out by Kamar Usman. <laughs> got knocked out. You can't argue that Usman's not a better striker, and Usman is not an elite striker. So we cook up these fantasies in our head, the perception gets us going. Jorge Masvidal was a very good mixed martial artist and damn, an amazing street fighter. Ain't no question about that. And he's a hustler, he's a marketer, he's a talker. But he's not an elite mixed martial arts striker. He never was. Just like Bryce Mitchell right now is an average wrestler. He ain't an elite grappler. Maybe he will become one. Maybe he'll become an elite fighter. Maybe he'll hear this breakdown and prove me wrong this weekend. In the meantime, I think Bryce Mitchell, pretty simply, is overrated. Now, as for Dan Ige, technical striker with a balanced skill set. Unlike Mitchell, he's capable of winning this fight in more than one way. Mitchell holds his, hold his hands low, lacks punching technique, and everyone knows that Mitchell has no punching power. Again, not a single KO in his entire career, not even as an amateur. Ige needs to do two things to win this fight. Defend takedowns and then get back to his feet if he's taken down. Easier said than done, of course. Mitchell's supporters are banking on him, taking down Ige, controlling him, getting the twisties and stuff like that. Should be noted, though, Ige is a former state champion wrestler in Hawaii before moving on to college and wrestling in college as well. Now, Mitchell looked world-class on the ground against guys like Mofit. I think he twisted up sales, took down Charles Rosa, Andre Feeney, those kind of guys. He looks dominant against those guys. The best win, of course, being Edson Barbosa, if I don't mention that, I'll be unfair. Edson Barbosa, who, side note here, former South American like wrestling champion, like Olympic-level wrestler. Mitchell took him down, controlled him. My only side note on why that might have happened is Barbosa is coming to the tail of his career. Doesn't wrestle as much, you know, more of a striker now. And so Mitchell, that was his best win of his career. But for me, seeing Mitchell take down Mofit and Sales and Rosa and Feely, control them, only one finish in that group, only one finish in his last 10 fights, I mean, it's not enough. Ige is a much better wrestler from top to bottom than guys like Mofit, Sales, Rosa, and Feely. And I think early on, when Bryce Mitchell tries to get some of the grappling and wrestling going on, he may have some moments of success, but he'll find Danny Ege formidable there. Now, Ilya Teporia, who's not known for being a wrestler, is from Georgia. Them boys wrestle out the womb, kind of like Dagestan, that kind of cultural presence of just we wrestle. That's what we do. For Dan Ige, he's kind of born in that same type of climate in Hawaii, where he was surrounded by people at a young age. He was wrestling from a young age. He was in the gym. It's part of his sort of his DNA. Bryce Mitchell won't find it easy to wrestle Dan Ige. And I think within the first, let's say, four minutes or so, three, four minutes of that first round, I think Mitchell realized shit. <clears throat> Plan A's out the window. I'm going to have to find another way to win the fight. And At that point, if he decides to try to trade with Dan Ige, he's going to literally find himself in a blender. Dan Ige is, though he has a wrestling base, people know him as an elite striker, very accurate, very pinpoint to the point on his striking. Better combinations, better output the whole nine. We expect this fight to play out a lot like actually Mitchell's last fight against Ilya Teporia. Ige for us here at Plus Money is a gift. The sports books are kind of giving you one here. It's because of Bryce Mitchell's popularity. It's because of the perception that he's an elite grappler. In this case, that perception is driving the line. His twister finish, that one little moment, that Masvidal moment he had, has got people fooled here a little bit. You know, and again, Masvidal got knocked out by Usman, <laughs> the elite striker, got knocked out by a guy who's a who's a Division Two college wrestler. You know, like Bryce Mitchell, every fight he lost by submission. What's going on here? Supposed to be a league grappler, right? The guy with one twister, only one one or two twisters in the UFC history. You know, so I know Mitchell fans are, are backing this on like, listen, he's going to get takedowns. He's got, look at the numbers. They're going to say, look at the numbers. He's got more takedowns than Dan Ega. He does. He does. That's true. He maybe even wins round one. <clears throat> Could be a good live betting opportunity because maybe he wins round one. It's close to some takedowns. I mean, even if he takes down Ige, by the way, he's not gonna finish him. Again, the numbers don't support him as being a high level finisher. You know what I'm saying? So for Mitchell fans, consider this. The fighter that he finished, right? The guy he finished by Twister, that guy was an eight and four fighter who went one and three in the UFC. That guy's now gone. It was one moment. Take that moment out of your mind for a second. What is Bryce Mitchell? Avid wrestler. Ige is a much better fighter from top to bottom. We're confident he wins this fight either by finishing Mitchell the way that Ilya Teporia did where it's on the ground, beating him up, submission or something like that, ground and pound, or just Ige tearing him apart. fight goes the full distance. By the way, both guys tend to cut easily. I had not seen Bryce Mitchell get cut the way he did in that fight against Teporia. Teporia had him kind of bladed up, looking pretty bad. But Ige has scar tissue especially under the eyes, tends to show immediately. Like You hit him there a few times, there's some bruising and stuff. Unfortunately for Dan Ige, Bryce Mitchell doesn't know how to throw punches, and he's not a hard puncher, has no knockouts ever. And so for Dan Ige, this is the perfect fight. This is the perfect fight for him, and I like Ige here quite a bit. But the betting spot's like the most here. The fight going over 1.5 rounds at minus 450. Dan Ige by submission at plus 1,400. Ige into the distance at plus 350, and then Ige to win. Let's move on. And the moment you've been waiting for the main event. We've got a battle between two lightweight 155 pounders, Hafiel Fiziev, minus 155, Matus Gamrot at plus 130. We're gonna go with hafiel Fiziev to win by round four knockout. That is our prediction. That's currently lined at plus one thousand six hundred, if you want to bet that prop. That would be five bucks to win eighty bucks or ten bucks to win 160 bucks. Keep our fingers crossed. We're playing that little prop there. We'll see what happens. Okay. As for the details in these two guys, again, a lightweight clash. That's 155 pounds. Rafael Fiziev, who goes by the Ottoman, 12 and 2 overall, for 1 his last five. He's from Azerbaijan. Trains out of Tucket Pilot. I said, I wanted to say Tucket. It. It's fuck it. Fuck it, Thailand. Yeah. I got to just say, he trains out of Tiger Muay Thai down there in Thailand. 30 years old, 5'8", with a 71.5-inch reach. For Matu's Gamrot, goes by the Gamer, 22-2 overall. four-one his last five. He's from Poland. 32 years old, so both guys are similar in age. 5'10", a little bit taller for Gamrot, with a 70.5-inch reach. So height and reach-wise, ever so slightly a taller uh, fighter as Gamrot, with a little slight reach advantage for Fiziev. And for Gamrot, out of American Top Team, very good gym. A lot of good rushers in that gym. Of course, that's like the Dagestani crew, the Kabib crew, and those guys. All right. Some more numbers right here for you guys. Grading-wise, give me Gamrot with the experience. Obviously, 24 total fights compared to 14 for Fiziev. Fighter IQ, both guys are pretty intelligent. Cardio. I'll tell you what. Gamron has the cardio. Uh, he can go the full distance. It's a five-round fight, though. And Fiziev to me, does have a slight better cardio advantage in this, uh, in this matchup. Finishing skills. You know, both guys can finish people. But they're not, to me, high-level finishers. The numbers don't support them being you know, very good at finishing. Uh, striking, give me Fiziev. Quicker hands, more volume, grappling. Gamera's the better grappler. Numbers support that. The props are like here. The fight does not go the full distance. That's minus 115. Under 4.5, plus 100. The KO prop for is plus 175. Submission prop for Gamera is very good here at plus 700. That would be one of his paths to victory. That's a very good... Prop to consider playing. The fight begins round three, is our prop lock. That's minus 360. The fight ending in round number four by a knockout for Fiziev is our prediction. That's again plus 1,600. All right, let's go back over here to our notes. Give me one second. All right, so again, Fiziev minus 155, Gamrot plus 130. Gamrot's a wrestler. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy where he'll look to take the fight to the ground pretty early and often. Averages four point five four takedowns per fight. His striking isn't awful. He actually looks pretty good on the feet, but he knows where he does his best work. It's on the ground. He trains at ATT, awesome gym with guys that are from Dagestan, sharpening his wrestling skills. So he's a guy's gonna come in here. You know what he's gonna do. Now, though, he doesn't have a high rate of finishes. He has three finishes in his last six fights. So it's one of those things where. I criticize him for not having a lot of finishes for Gamrat, but again, half of his last six fights he has had finishes, and two of those were by submission. Gamrat will be live for a submission for at least the first ten minutes. In my opinion, that last round gonna be tough, sweaty, maybe some blood and fatigue kind of sets in, It'd be harder for him there. But that first seven minutes or so, seven and a half minutes, Gamrat will be live for a submission. Now. If he wants to win in the scorecards, here's the path of video for Gamrot. He's got a notch rounds one and two. I just don't believe in rounds, you know, three, four, five, he's gonna have an advantage. He's gonna have to get ahead early. So, like, get a takedown round one and two, right? For Gamrot, win those rounds. Round three, close round. Okay, maybe you get ahead a little bit in the beginning, whatever, lose part of the second half of the round, but make it close. Rounds four and five, to me, it's just like all-day Fiziev. He'll be much faster, much stronger, have better cardio, have more output. So for Gamrot, if he wants to win the fight, it's two ways. Get a submission in those first two rounds or definitely win those first two rounds, position control, dominating takedowns, up against defense, make round three close, and then from there, go to the scorecard, survive, because I think that rounds four and five, Fiziev will be much stronger. Now for Fiziev, coming off of a tough loss to Justin Gaethje back in March of this year, if you don't recall that fight, it was a really good fight. He sustained a lot of damage in that fight. Rafael. didn't get like knocked out type of damage, but I'm just talking on the face. There's plenty of pictures online. He was pretty blooded up, but showed a lot of heart. Went toe to toe, and of course, Gaethje. Gaethje's a mutant, right? He's the kind of guy where you know if you go toe to toe with Gaethje and you survive to talk about it, that's a admirable accomplishment itself. Now, all that said, it wasn't entirely a terrible performance for him. He did land heavy shots on Gaethje. He did do a few good things, and again, just surviving. And finishing the fight at his feet is uh, pretty remarkable. Now, Gamrat isn't going to stand and trade with Fiziev. Now, Fiziev would like to see that. Gamrat's going to try to mix in some takedowns. Fiziev has to defend takedowns, has to get back to his feet. And when you're on the feet, Fiziev needs to dominate those situations. He needs to chew up Gamrat, right? Now, Fiziev has very quick hands, powerful kicks. Kicking game though has to be careful again. Throws a wrong kick, gets caught by Gamrat, gets taken down. You know, Gamrat in rounds one and two going for takedowns constantly. Now, as we saw last year for Fiziev, he was able to finish those años in the fifth round. That's why for me in this spot, I could see something similar where he finishes Gamrot and runs four or five. He finds Gamrot slowing down, lands a few of those powerful body kicks, gets on top of Gamrot and grounds him out on the ground. So for me, endurance and cardio would be a big factor here. I think early on, we could see Gamrot notching round number one. We could see a close round two. Ah, uh, the over two and a half, over three and a half, all things that I do like. But then we get to those championship rounds, four and five. It's a five-round fight. I do think Fiziev will be more prepared. Now we expect Fiziev to withstand the grappling advances of, of Gamrot en route to a late round, late round victory. But if you like Gamrot, again, it's Gamrot by submissions round one and two, and maybe Gamrot by a decision if he's very fortunate. The fight begins round number three at minus three sixty. Like that spot. The fight does not go the full distance at minus one fifteen. Fizyev by knockout plus 175, and then Fizyev has a parlay piece. So all spots to consider give me Fizyev. When I first saw the fight, before I looked into the breakdown, the numbers and everything else, I was like, oh, you know, it's, oh, it's tough. I think once you look at the stats, do some film review, you'll find that Gamera is game. That's why he goes by the gamer, right? Good fighter. But when it comes to, like, who's the better mixed martial artist, uh, Fizyev is the better mixed martial artist. And you got to imagine Fizyev, who's a pretty – astute fighter, pretty smart, is going to be doing the things to sharpen his skills and be ready for the wrestling approach of Gamron. So, you know, give me Fiziev If he doesn't finish the fight, wins by decision. Here are Swift Picks for UFC Vegas 79, Fiziev versus Gamron. Starting off with Tamiris Vidal versus Montrat Rendon, we'd like Tamiris Vidal to win by decision. Mizuki Anu versus Hannah Goldie, we'll go with Mizuki Anu to win by decision. Jake Collier versus Mohamed Usman, we'll go with Jake Collier to win by decision. Jacob Malkoon versus Cody Brunage. We like Jacob Malkoon to win by round two submission. Tim Means versus Andre Fialo. Andre Fialo by round one knockout is our pick. Daniel Argueta versus Miles Johns. We'll go with Daniel Argueta to win by decision. Up to the main card, Charles Jourdain versus Ricardo Ramos. We like Charles Jourdain by decision. Brian Battle versus AJ Fletcher. We'll go with Brian Battle to win the fight by decision. Marina Rodriguez versus Michelle Watterson Gomez. We'll go with Michelle Watterson Gomez to win by decision. In the co-main event, Bryce Mitchell versus Dan Ige. We like Dan Ige to win by decision. And in the main event, we like Rafael Fiziev to win by round four knockout over Matuz Gamrot. Those are the swift picks for UFC Vegas 79. All right, boys and girls, that's our full card breakdown for UFC Vegas 79, aka UFC fight night Matuz Gamrot versus Rafael Fiziev. If you haven't done so already, please do me the nice, kind favor of liking and subscribing to our channel so you get more of our content and support our work. If you look down below here on YouTube, you'll see a few links for a few other things you could do to support us. We have a newsletter, which is pretty cool, Tapology Group, all things are free. Uh, We do have a way you can pay for the newsletter that's for some additional content, but not required. We appreciate you guys just coming by and supporting our channel. So follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch. TikTok, wherever you can find us, look for our black and yellow logo there, uh, MA Fight Club, and uh, we appreciate your support. Good luck on this fight card, guys. We'll have our tip sheet out for this entire fight card by, oh, Friday evening, Friday afternoon, around that time. Um, And again, check out our our newsletter. You'll find all this information up there tip sheets, breakdowns, Excel sheet, which I'll share with you guys earlier, so on and so forth. Okay, it's time for me to wrap it up. I'm slurring my words now, talking too much. Time for me to finish up here, but Wish you guys the best luck on the card. I'll see you guys soon, and deuces.